I knelt in the altar this past Friday here, and I was so burdened. Uh, I was crying and pouring out my heart to the Lord. And as I was looking at our nation and as I was looking at people today and how far we've gotten away from where things were with God and serving the Lord in church and all of those things from years ago. And I just, uh, I said, Lord, what will change people again? What's, what's going to bring people back? I'm not saying that I want to experience the good old days, but I'll tell you one thing. I'd like to see the church have its first love again. I'd like to see the church with the passion and the concern that it once had. I'd like to see the church with that. And then as I, I stood to take communion, the Lord spoke to my heart. And he said, this is what will bring people back. This is what will restore spiritual sanity back to the church. Because it's not just the world. It's the church. Because I believe as the church goes, so goes the world. You say, what is it? Well, I believe it's the cross. There's nothing like the cross of Jesus Christ. And this coming Friday night, Sister Carol has worked very hard to make sure that we recognize the cross. That we remember what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. At 7 p.m., scripture will be read by Larry Smith. And this is the story of Jesus before Pilate. Then we'll have music in prayer. And then at 715, scripture reading, but Todd going, the mocking and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ taken from St. Matthew. Seven, then we'll have music in prayer again. And then at 730, scripture will be read by Matt Fisher, the death and the burial of Christ. We need to, we need to realize and hear about what he did for us, the sacrifice that he made for us. And then I will be conducting a time of communion. And that's something else the Lord spoke to us as Brother Dan served communion. He said, this is what will bring people back. This, was, this is what will remind them. And that's what communion is all about. It's to bring to our remembrance. And we have a tendency to forget. All of us do. And so those communion, that communion time and and those elements that we partake of is so vitally important. And then after communion, we have music and prayer again. And then we'll have about 750 scripture reading from the book of Isaiah. And it will be read with several languages. English, Korean, Spanish. And we might find someone else to read it in another language. I don't know. But I just, I'm excited about this Friday evening, and we just invite you, if you will, to, to be part of our prayer time, and it will be exciting. It certainly will, it will help us to remember what Jesus Christ did for us on a good Friday. You're invited. Would you please come? Turn your Bibles with us, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. I, uh, I've enjoyed this study for the last several weeks. I've been in this study and I've read it over and over and over and over and read it 
with several translations. And I thought to myself, you know, we're going back almost 3,500 years. And we're taking this story that uh, is just one chapter in the Bible. And we're going to try and take and apply this to our lives today. What, what is the reason or are the reasons for us to read this book and apply it to our lives today? Because we can pick up modern day books. We can pick up uh, current issues of all kind of books and magazines and articles. Why, why, why this? Well, to be real honest with you, this is 66 books. This was written by 40 authors. All walks of life. This, my friend, was written over 15 centuries. Not one word contradicts the other. Isn't that amazing? I, I got to thinking about that and I said, oh my. And every word is true. <laughs> it's a powerful, powerful book. And it doesn't matter whatever. In fact, we're going to be looking... Uh, Today at how to handle difficult situations. Every one of us have difficult situations practically every week of our lives. Maybe even every day. And what can we take from a book that's been written so long ago and apply it to our situations today and it helps us? Well, it does. I mean, that's what's so unique. You know why that's all of this I've said is true? Because it is divinely inspired. And so you can trust it. And it, it doesn't matter if it's a, a, a problem with a relationship. It doesn't matter if it's a marriage. Doesn't matter if you're struggling financially. Whatever you are facing today. This right here is the answer. Now I know, I know that's clichéist. Oh, the Bible. Yeah, the Bible. And this story that we're going to be reading about today is, to me, is, is one of the most interesting stories in the Bible. It is a drama of mainly three people. Now, there are other people involved in this drama, but, but mainly three people is involved in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And I don't want to read it just as a story. I don't want to look at it as just a drama. I don't want to look at it as something that was written years ago, and we just come in and we read it, and hey, we close our Bibles and we fold up our, our notes, and we go home and we say, wow, that was good, okay, go on down the road. These are powerful principles for us today. 
Read with me, if you will. If you don't have an outline, please raise your hand. Brother Stephen, make sure you give. I want, want everyone to have an outline because uh, it, it, it really will help you as we go through this. You remember what you hear somewhat, but you remember a whole lot more of what you read. So we want everyone to have an outline of the sermon. Scripture presents this person, Abigail. Now, Abigail had many great, fine qualities. She had intelligence. She was uh, certainly persuasive in her speech. She uh, had good sense. I wish Washington had good sense. How do you have good sense when you're in debt and pass a bill $1.3 trillion? That's not good sense. I'm meddling and I know it and I'll hush. She had tact. She had faith. She had vision. Abigail. I don't know if you've ever heard of Nabal and Abigail or not, but you're going to hear a lot about it. I know you've heard about David, and he certainly comes into play in this drama. But Scripture presents Abigail as a beautiful, intelligent woman whose lot in life is one of being married to a rich fool named Nabal. He was cruel. He was mean. He was an angry man, uh, but he wasn't a pleasant man to deal with. You say, well, how in the world did an Abigail, with all of these fine qualities, wind up married to a man like Nabal? I ask myself about that with so many people today. What in the world happened? Of course, this marriage was arranged. As you know back then, tradition was that the woman did not have a lot of choices when it comes to getting married. And so her parents probably, because, because Nabal was very rich, he was a wealthy man. And so probably her mom and dad said, hey, let's get our daughter married to this wealthy man. Maybe we can, you know what? glean from some of that. I don't know. But anyway, she was married to Nabal. Abigail reveals how wisdom and determined action, I love those two, determined action need to partner in order to save good people from disaster. Let's read on. Being wise in itself may not be sufficient in some situations. Without taking immediate action, it is... uh, possible to simply stand by and watch destruction that could be and should be avoided. The action she took was on behalf of her husband and David. Now this, this, this drama, this story is so unique in the fact that this woman was so wise in dealing with her husband and dealing with the future king of Israel, David. The longer I live, the more I find out how wise 
women are. It is amazing that, that guys, if we're not careful, that we don't listen to them. And we don't, you know, they have an intuition. They certainly uh, think out of both sides of their brain while we're trying to operate out of one side of our brain and trying to make do. And I mean, it's just amazing. And here is a great example of the action that she took on behalf of Nabal and David. David had protected the Hebrew farmers from the Amalekites. And because of his kindness, David made a request to Nabal. And this is found in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 4 through 11. Would you read it with me? Let's read it. Uh, Brother Marker put it on the screen. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, uh, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, peace to all you have. Verse 7. Now I have heard that you have shears. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. David goes on to say, therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand uh, to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name, in the name, in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away from each one from his master. Verse 11. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? Now, listen to this story. Most of us know that David was running from King Saul. You know how many men he had? But they were powerful men. They were men of great warrior-like strength. He had 600 men, and they were fugitives running from King Saul. And they had happened to come to, uh, to Carmel, and there was where the shepherds were, and there was where a lot of the people were, and, and uh, the Amalekites, the Philistines, the enemies had come down and attacked these farmers and taken their sheep and taken their goats and, and taken their money. And, and so David and his 600 men intervened for these farmers. And they did not allow anyone to harm them. Neither did they take anything from these farmers. So it was good to them. And so here we are, they all come back. Uh, they are now in harvest time with the animals, and it's a festive time. And he's raking in, Nabal is, a lot of money. And so David sends his young men with uh, ten of them with this word, we need some food. Can you imagine I mean, even McDonald's would have a problem feeding 600 men with all of its quarter pounders and cheese. You know, you just, it, it took a lot of food for 600 
hungry men. So David said, hey, could you help us? Well, Nabal insulted David. He did. He called him the son of Jesse. And who is he? What am I to do? I'm not going to help him. So when they turned on their heels, the Bible said they did, these ten men of David and quickly left and went back and told David, well, David was in a rage. He was angry. And he said, put on your swords. He put on his sword. They put on their sword. He said, as sure, listen to me, as sure as the Lord lives, Nabal and every male person in his household will die. I'm going to kill him. He was very angry. He left 200 men with the stuff, took 400 with him, and he's on his way to the house of Nabal. Now, first of all, it was a humble request. He didn't come demanding. He came and asked, he said, whatever you choose to give us, we'll take. But then Nabal, he's greedy. He is selfish, and that's the way the world is today. If you'd read this bill that they just signed of $1.3 trillion, you'd find a lot of stuff in there of greed. Millions and billions of dollars. This senator wants this, this person wants this, this one wants that, this state wants this, and and, and all of that, you know, our, 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 our country is drowned in, in greed. And this was what was happening when it came to him. Well, one of the servants, one of the servants went and told Abigail. Abigail was not there. And they told her what had happened. And she knew trouble was on the way. So... She promptly, I love it. Now, one of the young men told Abigail, verse 14, Nabal's wife saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as uh, we accompanied them when we were in the field. Verse 16, they were a wall to us both night and day all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you will do for harm is determined against our master and against all his household for he is such a scoundrel. Description <laughs> of Nabal. They couldn't even talk to him. You ever seen men you couldn't talk to? They said they had such a disposition about them and some women. They said, he is a scoundrel, one that you cannot even speak to. Look at verse 18 of verse 20, of chapter 25. Then Abigail made haste. She knew something had to be done, and she did it quickly. Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, two bushels of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisin, 200 cakes of figs, loaded them on the donkeys and took off. Wow. She was 
a giver. Notice, if you will, Abigail showed wisdom, and she was truly a woman of wisdom. First of all, in her promptness, David's desire was revenge. He was going to get back at Nabal, kill Nabal and all of those in his household. Uh, she flew into action. She realized there wasn't a moment to lose. It's one thing, as we said earlier, to be wise. It's something else to act on that wisdom. And there are a lot of people sitting around playing mumble peg, and they don't know what are we going to do, and they're not doing this and that and the other. But I believe that God wants a church that is not only wise, but will act upon that wisdom. Come on, amen. It's time for the church to act. And this coming Friday night, we're going to act. This coming Sunday, uh, Saturday, we're going to what? Act. It, God's told us what to do. We don't have to search. We know what God wants us to do. We're going to act, and we're going to go out and try to win the lost and feed the hungry. Isn't that great? It's one thing to be wise. It's something else. Her prudent care to prevent the mischief it was likely to bring upon her family. Not only was she prompt in it, but she had provision. She had a passion for giving. I'm glad that this church has a passion for giving. We're able to support ministries around the world. We're able to support missionaries that probably would not survive. And we Provided for many, or provided for uh, ministry, 17 churches in Nicaragua for over 50 years. Isn't that something? It's, 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 it's a desire that we certainly give, uh, and this giving meant something to David. Notice, Abigail brought food for the horses, as well as bread, wine, and cheese for David and his men. And then her address to David. Are you following me? Are you with me so far? This drama is playing out and it's going to teach us some very, very important principles. I'm going to read from this book that I was talking about a while ago. If you'll read with me, I would like to read uh, uh, verse 20, begin with verse 20 of 25. I don't know if I have that on there, Mark. But verse 20, so it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill and there were David and his men coming down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him and he has repaid me evil for good. Notice, may God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. I'm going to kill him. Nabal, you, you're in trouble. And the only thing that's going to save you is your wife. And there's a lot of guys in trouble about the only thing that's going to save them many times is their wives. And I, I just believe that God has placed that helpmate along beside of us to bless us and for us to be the leader that we should be. Now when Abigail, look at verse 23. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly. 
Here she goes again. She's not playing around. She's making haste to get there. She gets there. She quickly dismounts from the donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. Now what this wise woman says to David is so prophetic. It is so powerful. I have, I, I have sat and read this over and over and over again this week and last week to see what she would say to David. Listen as what she'll say. Please, let not my Lord regard this scandal, Nabal. You know what? She could have sent back and said, I am so tired of this man. He has made my life miserable. He's a drunk. He's an alcoholic. He is curlish, hateful, evil. I'm glad David's going to take care of him. She didn't do that. Neither when she got to David did she make excuses for him. Oh, my husband's a fine man. Oh, he does everything right. Oh, he doesn't do any... Listen, don't lie. She didn't lie. She didn't say, David, you're going to come and uh, kill my husband and he's such a good man. She said, no, he is. You, you You got him tagged right. He's a scoundrel. He is evil. She was truthful. About David. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is his game. I mean, that's not what it said, but that's what it meant. Nabal means fool. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself, listen, with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be his neighbor. David was about to do something so unnecessary. David was about to shed blood. David was about to do something that would had followed him the rest of his life. He was about to spring out of anger and kill someone. Mm. And now she says, this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord. Let it be given to the young men and follow my, that follow my Lord. Verse 28. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. She takes it on herself. She didn't do it. She didn't say it. She did not reject David. But she speaks as though she did. And she said, please. Don't shed this blood. It will follow you. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Here's the prophecy. She was bound to have been taught the Torah. 
She was bound to have been taught the Hebrew word. Or she knew of the Hebrew word. Because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. Now she calls David Lord. But it's a small letter Lord. But she calls this Lord with a capital Lord. She knew the Lord God Almighty. That's where the wisdom came from. I'm not talking about the wisdom of the world. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness. If you don't believe it, look around you. Look at Hollywood. Look at Washington. Look at some of the neighbors. The wisdom of the world is foolishness. She said, Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. She is respecting God's man. He was anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. And now she addresses him on her knees with humility and respect and honor. Same way we should do to Jesus. Be good if we dismount off of our donkeys. We give the altar call, you sit on your donkey. Get off your donkey and get in the altar. Verse 29, yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. I love that statement. Saul's after you. Saul is trying to kill you. But I'm here to tell you and prophesy to you that the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. Let me tell you, God speaks that to every man and every woman here today. Your life is bound in the bundle of the Lord. You say, why do you say bundle? If you got a bundle, you take time to get a bundle. I mean, you got to gather this and gather that, and you got to put it here and buy and get it all together, and then you got to tie it together, and then you've got your bundle. God's going to take you and care for you and bring you together. It doesn't matter what it is, and bindage you up, and He's going to put you on your its back and carry you. Oh, what a proverb! What a statement! And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out. Are you worried about your enemies? You have a co-worker that's giving you a hard time? You have a neighbor that's not nice and causing all kind of trouble? Let me tell you what, God will take your enemies and he'll put them in a sling. He'll say, shoot, there they go. Shoot, there they go. Your enemies shall be slung out. You trust God. Abigail wasn't complaining. She was married to a creep. She wasn't saying, I want to get a divorce. She wasn't saying, I'm going to leave him. She wasn't saying, glad that David's on the scene and kill him. She took up for him. She saved his life. Can you imagine? She had wisdom. She had knowledge. She had love. She had respect. 
going to sling them out as from the pocket of a sling. Verse 30, and it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Let me tell you, David, God's protecting you. God's not going to let you shed blood. He don't want you shedding blood. So you've got this in remembrance. So it it dogs you the rest of your life. David looked at all that she had brought. Looked at her kneeling on the ground and thought to himself, My Lord, I've got to hear this. And so he rescinded his proclamation that he was going to kill Nabal. And he said, Bless you. Notice the prophecy Abigail addresses to David as a masterpiece of charm, wisdom, and grace. Abigail recognizes that God will bless David. She also recognizes that David is divinely appointed the next ruler over Israel. Notice the pronounced blessing of David. David blessed the Lord, the God. There was three blessings. David blessed the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me today. David blessed be, he said, blessed be your good sense. And number three, blessed be you, Abigail, who have kept me today from blood guilt and from avenging myself by my own hand. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You think your enemy, you think that person's giving you a hard time. You think they're going to go on and they're going to, you know, not going to pay. They're going to pay. But let God make them pay. Put them in the hands of the Lord. Put them in God's hand. Let me close. As Sister Judy comes and plays that little song again, the old rugged cross. I love it. Nabal knew who David was. Let me say it again. He knew who David was. First of all, he called him the son of Jesse. He knew that Samuel had anointed David king over Israel. He just didn't respect him. People today, they know. They won't won't admit it. Nabal knew about David killing Goliath and saving the entire nation of Israel. Nabal knew that. So did Abigail. They knew it. This household had the very same light. One of them rejected it. The other one received it. They both knew God's dealings with David. Yet Nabal disrespected David, disrespected God. It was a custom of that day. If you had help, that you would give sheep and food. Render unto people that helped you. They both knew. Let me tell you, our nation... Has a lot of light. You may say, well, our nation is struggling in darkness. It is. 
But this nation has been shown the light. This nation has been shown the light. John 1, 4 and 5 says in Him, in who? In Christ, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. It didn't say it was the life of people in North Carolina. It didn't say it was the light of people in America. It didn't say it was the light of, of the countries in the Western Hemisphere. Listen to what God's Word says. It says in Him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Now you can argue with whatever, but you can't argue with the Bible as far as I'm concerned. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not, this is NIV, has not overcome it. The King, New King James has comprehended it. Or it says, uh, comprehended it, yes. Listen to John 1 and 9 and with the NIV. The true light that gives light. It's talking about the light of heaven. The light of the kingdom. The light of Jesus Christ. It says a true light that gives light to almost everyone. Did I read it right? No, I didn't. The true light that gives light to everyone. But how about the people in Africa? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Now you can, you can call out certain countries and call out, call out certain cultures if you want to, but the light has shone. You said, but Brother Don, there's places the gospel has never been preached. Let me tell you what happens. God gives light to every man. Psalms, let's go to Psalms 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. I, I could shout over this one. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. And night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There is no language. For the voice is not heard. Argue with that one. You can't do it. There's no, no voice. No speech. No language. To where God's sun don't shine. And God's moon don't shine. And the heaven speaks loud and clear. There is no speech nor language. Where the voice is not heard. The line has gone out through all the earth and the words the words to the end of the world Romans 1 and 20 for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes have clearly are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse I look at some people in America today. I don't think you know, they're heathen Americans. But somewhere, somehow, some way, God has revealed Himself to the hardest ungodly person in the world. 
Let me read on. When outsiders, Romans says in verse 14. Now this is a, this is a message. Bear with me with this paraphrase, if you will. When outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by what? Instinct. They confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien. Imposed on us from without. But woven into the very fabric of our creation. There is something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no, right and wrong. Their response to God's yes and no will become public knowledge on the day God makes his final decision about every man and woman. The message from God that I proclaim through Jesus Christ takes in account all these differences. Now maybe they didn't have the word of God preached to them like you and I have it. Maybe they didn't have a church at 3518 Rose of Sharon Road. Or maybe they didn't live in America. Or maybe they didn't have a missionary to come. But some way. And they're going to be judged according to these differences. Nabal, cruel, evil, angry, self-conceited and self-selfish. Abigail, wisdom, character. Both had the same light. Every one of us in this building, and no matter what church people gather in today, if the gospel, if the gospel, capital I-F, the gospel is preached, every person has the same opportunity. It's just what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with the message that we've heard today? Abigail waited till the next day. Listen to me. I'm closing. Abigail waited till the next day to tell Nabal about what she had done. You know why? When she got back home, everybody was drunk. They'd thrown a party. And she couldn't tell him. Waiting until the wine had gone out of him, she knew the uselessness of reasoning with a drunken man. The reasoning. America's number one drug problem. You know what it is? It's not heroin, it's alcohol. You know what Proverbs says about alcohol? It describes alcohol as a as dangerous as a snake. Somebody says, I'll take my little bit of social drink and I'll be fine. Will you? You'll never see anyone, I don't think, that hates alcohol any more than I hate it. It destroyed my mom and dad's marriage. It may it turned my dad, which was a good farmer which was basically a good man, it turned into him, into a raving maniac. He would get the gun after his wife and his three children. 
At three years old, corn sheller fell on my leg and broke it. He picks me up, takes me into the house, and throws me on the cot. I've seen him sit at the table so drunk, slobbering. It embarrassed me to high heaven. My brother was an alcoholic most of his life. I'd go get him out of jail. He, if he was here, he wouldn't mind me telling it. I miss him. You miss him? Yeah. Alcoholic most of his life. His son died at 30 years old on his own vomit. Drunk. You say, brother, you get nasty this Sunday morning. Let me tell you, I hate it. My brother's wife was killed. Head on collision. Man had just come from the Angus barn drunk, drunk. Ran over into our lane and killed her. I could go on and on and on. I remember my brother, year and three months older than I was. I remember when he started drinking at a very, very young age. He started out just a social drinker. Let me tell you, you don't play with alcohol. And let the church get weak on it. And that church will never come to a good end. We, you, Brother Don, you just hate it because of so and so. I hate it because the Bible talks about it. It destroys lies. But after that, she told him, after he sobered up the next morning, Abigail tells Nabal what she had done for David. He had a heart attack or stroke and died 10 days later. She was free of him. Let God, let God handle people that's your enemy. Let God handle those people that's giving you trouble. And guess what she wound up doing? Most of you know she wound up marrying David. She went from a slob to the king. Hallelujah. David to take you, God to take you from a, a cruel, wretched life to a king. Anger, hateful, mean, evil. Back in 1961, I worked with a man at a job. I would go in at 12 o'clock at night to this particular place of business and begin work on Sunday night at 12 o'clock. And he and I worked together. He and I worked together. He was always angry. He was always bitter. He wouldn't speak to me. I'd go in and especially Sunday nights after service and Hadn't been long out of service, you know. Here it was 12 o'clock. We didn't get out of church about 10, 11 o'clock. And had to rush to go to work. And I worked all night. And, and then I had to go in there with this angry, hateful man. There's something about the Word of God that, and the light. Because they don't like the... The world don't like the light. Because it exposes their evil. Let me ask you something. There's a little sign that you can put on a bumper sticker that has a fish. What does it represent? It represents Christians. You ever seen the one that has the name Darwin in it and feet on the bottom of it? 
Why does the world put that on there? Does that fish hurt anybody? Those Christians hurt real Christians. Do they hurt anybody? No, they're just angry. That's the reason they don't want the word of God in the schools. That's the reason they want to take God's word and prayer out of the public arena. Because they hate the light. Necessarily hate you and I. And this man hated me. He told me one Sunday night, he said, let me tell you something, Don Westbrook. I'll take you back to the stock room and I'll mop up the floor with you. He could have done it too. <laughs> but I continued to witness to Norman Canada. And then I became a minister and I left that business. And some years ago, after that, I got a call from his wife. She said, Don, would you come and visit Norman? He wants to see you. Went way out in the country and here he lay in a bed, dying of cancer. He said, Don, I've got a request. Would you please preach my funeral? I said, yeah. And I had the privilege of preaching his funeral and comforting his wife and his children. God had really, truly had saved him. And I believe he's in heaven today. God saved him. But the story doesn't stop there. Some years later, I think his kids were about 11 or 12 years old during the funeral. Some years later, I was in the fellowship hall. It's only... We didn't have the sanctuary then. and I was working in the fellowship hall. The door opened and a young man stepped in and came up and he shook my hand. He said, you don't know who I am, do you? I said, no, I don't. He said, I'm Norman Canada's son. I've gone to seminary and I'm studying and I'm preaching God's word. You let God take care of that person. Abigail let God take care of Nabal. You let God take care of that person that's giving you problems and all kinds of things going on in your life. It may not turn out like Norman Canada and I hugged his neck, that, that young man's neck, and I thank God. My mind went back to us stocking those shelves when Norman was hateful. When he wanted to do this, wanted to do that. And I'd still love him. And I'd still witness to him. And I want him to Christ and buried him. And here his son now is preaching the gospel. God has a way of doing things. This is it, folks. Not what Don says on Sunday morning, but what this says. I hope I've preached it. Let us pray. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Heal my trophies At last I lay down I'm going to cling To the old Legged cross And exchange it's someday 
Lord, I'm so thankful for the cross this morning. I'm not ashamed of the cross. I'm not ashamed for what it stands for and the symbol that it is. Father, I thank you that your son was willing to go to that cross. Give himself for lost humanity. To change lives like Norman. To change the most wicked, vile person in the world. God, I thank you for that. That would grant unto us, Lord, this great plan of redemption. Lord, what a plan. And Lord, if we begin with Genesis and end with Revelation, throughout that word, redemption rings loud and clear. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Stand and sing it with me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies. Sing it out. Sing it out. Lift your voice. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday. Father, search our hearts here today. You know every need. You know where we are in our relationship with you and our walk with you. If there is one man, one woman, one young person here today that does not know you as their personal Savior, may they make a decision to accept you, to accept the plan, to accept your God, the provision that you've made for, for them. May they say yes, an eternal yes, to you concerning their relationship with you. God, I pray for all the church that we're look, dear God, to these principles and that we will not take revenge in our own hands. That we will not allow anger and bitterness, unforgiveness to swell up and be part of our lives. But God help us as men and women of, of the Bible and of, 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 of a relationship with you. Help us to be men and women of wisdom and knowledge and action. Help us to do everything we can to reach out and take this hand and bring it in and reach out and take this hand and see, dear God, that there is unity in the body of Jesus Christ. God, we believe that and we thank you for that. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name.